things in nature are constantly changing. And most of the time, these things change gradually. The number of listeners on our show, for example. Thanks for that, by the way. But there are a few strange processes in nature that are not gradual at all. In these situations, reality can change in almost an instant. We call these moments phase transitions, and you may already be familiar with a few of these. Freezing water, for example. You can cool down your room temperature water to be colder and colder, and nothing else will change. Until suddenly, at zero degrees Celsius, it'll freeze over. The entire molecular structure of the water changes, not in a gradual process, but in the instant that it reaches that temperature. But we aren't here today to just talk about ice cubes, because it turns out that there are more exciting phase transitions to talk about. Today on our show, we're going to talk about cosmological phase transitions that transformed the early universe into the reality that exists today. We're talking about moments when the physics of the universe changed all in an instant. This episode of Why This Universe is supported by Wondrium. Wondrium is a mind-blowing subscription service that offers thousands of video and audio courses on a huge range of topics. I've been a big fan and a regular consumer of Wondrium's content for the past 15 years or so, and over that time I've listened to dozens of their courses, including ones on history, philosophy, literature, math, and science. For me, it's kind of like taking an intro-level university course from a great professor on a subject you've always wanted to know more about, but without the big tuition fee and all in the comfort of your own home or daily commute. One of my all-time favorite series in Wondrium is called Mysteries of Modern Physics Time by my friend and colleague Sean Carroll. Sean is a fantastic physicist and communicator. In over 24 lectures, he talks about what we know about time from Newton and Einstein up to modern questions pertaining to black holes, the Big Bang, and even the possibility of time travel. So if you want to know more about the physics of time or just about anything else, give Wondrium a try. You can sign up for Wondrium now through our special URL to get a month of unlimited access for free. Just go to wondrium.com slash universe. That's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash U-N-I-V-E-R-S-E. You're listening to Why This Universe, a podcast where we break down the biggest ideas in physics. I'm Shalma Wegsman. And I'm Dan Hooper. If we look around at the universe today, we see that, on a whole, it's pretty cold and pretty sparse. A bath of photons, or particles of light, left over from the Big Bang populate the universe with an average temperature of around 3 degrees above absolute zero. That's roughly negative 270 degrees Celsius. Sure, it's a lot warmer here by our sun, but when you take the observable universe as a whole, that's about how cold it is. But it wasn't always like this. The farther you look back in time at our universe's past, the hotter and more dense it used to be. So if we go back in time to when our universe was maybe only like a billion years old, the temperature of the same light was about six times higher than it is today. So it was like 20 degrees above absolute zero. We go back even further to when it was only a million years old. It was a couple of thousand degrees. And when it was only a thousand years old, the temperature was something like 50,000 degrees. If we go back to the very, very early times, like a second after the Big Bang, 
all of space was filled with this giant thermal bath that filled every corner of the universe at a temperature of 10 billion degrees, something like a thousand times hotter than the core of the sun. So you can think of the temperature of the universe as a marker for its age. The younger the universe, the hotter the universe. And just like you can see the phase transitions of water by seeing what happens as you heat it up, today we're going to talk through the phase transitions that happen when you heat up the entire universe. These phase transitions are what our universe went through in its very early history. Looking around our cooled-down universe today, we see that it's filled with particles like protons and neutrons. These are the particles that make up the nuclei of all of our atoms. Super fundamental stuff. But they aren't actually fundamental particles themselves. Each proton and each neutron is made up of smaller particles called quarks and gluons. If you heat the universe up hot enough, it turns out that these protons and neutrons actually fall apart into these more fundamental particles. This moment in the universe's history is called the quantum chromodynamic phase transition, or the QCD phase transition for short. The QCD phase transition marks the instance in the universe's history where all of the quarks and gluons clumped up into protons and neutrons and stayed that way. The universe on either side of this moment looks completely different. At temperatures, at really high temperatures, uh, you know, prior to the first millionth of a second or so after the Big Bang or so, all of space was filled with a plasma of quarks and gluons. These particles are super strongly interacting, and during this time, they were constantly colliding and otherwise interacting with other particles. And these interactions not only you know, like transferred energy back and forth between the particles involved, but it also changed the very nature of the particles. A quark might interact in a way that causes it to be destroyed, leaving behind some photons or electrons or Higgs bosons or whatever. And then those particles would all, all go on to be destroyed, leaving other things in their wake. In this state, kind of everything was constantly becoming something else. Nothing was permanent. All of space was filled with this ever-transforming plasma of ultra-hot and ultra-dense particles. As our universe expanded and the temperature dropped below a, you know, about 10 to the 13 degrees or so, so 10 trillion degrees or so, the quarks and gluons started to become bound together into the particles we know of as like protons and neutrons, as well as these other short-lived particles called pions. Just like liquid water can't exist at really low temperatures, free quarks and gluons, turns out, can't exist at temperatures below this QCD phase transition. At a glance, it kind of looks like the laws of physics themselves are changing as you go through this phase transition. You know, it, it, uh, the, the low temperature universe seems to describe things like protons and neutrons and pions, while the high temperature universe instead contains quarks and gluons. But deep down, it's all the same laws of physics that work on either side of this transition. It's the same stuff following the same rules. The protons, neutrons, and pions that exist at low temperatures are just the kinds of quarks and gluons bound together into new things. But everything seems really different on the other side of the phase transition because the kinds of objects we find in the universe are bound up collections of quarks and gluons instead of the individual free particles that existed before the transition. Okay, so what if we heat up the universe even more and look at it even further back in time? It turns out that there's another big change that the universe may have gone through. This one, which we call the electroweak phase transition, 
occurred even earlier in cosmic history, only a trillionth or so of a second after the Big Bang. After the electroweak phase transition was over, our universe contained many of the particles that we would recognize or find in our universe today, things like photons, for example. But it turns out that photons can't exist at temperatures above the electroweak phase transition. Other particles like the W and Z bosons, which are responsible for the weak nuclear force in nature, these also only exist at temperatures below this phase transition. Furthermore, particles like you know electrons, as well as things like muons, taus, and all the quarks, all of these particles have mass in our universe. They have energy stored in, in their, their rest mass. But before the electroweak phase transition took place, these particles were all exactly massless. After the electroweak phase transition, our universe contained things like photons, W and Z bosons, massive electrons, muons, taus, and quarks, all the stuff that you would see in our universe today. But before this transition, none of these things, none of these particles were yet possible. Instead, those fields that make up things like the photons, Ws, and Zs took the form of other kinds of exotic massless particles. And the electrons, muons, and taus, and quarks were all completely massless. And as the temperature of the universe dropped, the interactions of these particles with the Higgs field caused them all to change combining or mixing with each other in a way that caused them to form for the first time things like photons that prior to this transition couldn't exist. Okay, so pause. This is getting a bit strange. Particles that have mass in the universe today didn't have mass before this one particular moment in cosmic history. To understand why, we have to dive into the process that gives particles mass to begin with. This has to do with the Higgs field. You may recognize the Higgs boson from its momentous 2012 discovery at the Large Hadron Collider. The Higgs field is basically the quantum field version of this particle called the Higgs boson. The Higgs field extends all across space, and interacting with this field is what gives other sorts of particles their masses. And it turns out that it's only at this one instance the electroweak phase transition, that these Higgs field interactions turn on. This took the particles that existed beforehand and mixed and transformed them into the sorts of particles we actually observe today, as weird as that sounds. As all this played out, the laws of physics that dictate our universe like really looked like they were changing dramatically. We were, you know, kind of looking, it's like looking at a piece of liquid water and then cooling it down and looking at something very different in the form of ice. It just, it seems to be a completely different chunk of stuff playing by completely different kinds of rules, even though deep down it's all the same stuff, um, just behaving very, very differently. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. So this may all be incredibly confusing, and that's okay. 
The main idea is that there are these two phase transitions, the electroweak phase transition and then the QCD phase transition, where our universe drastically transformed in basically an instant. But there's more weirdness to this phase transition story. So the QCD phase transition and the electroweak phase transition are like really interesting to cosmologists. We've probably written thousands of papers on them and devoted a huge amount of time and resources to figuring out exactly how they played out. Um, but if I'm being honest, uh, that's they're not the kind of phase transitions I'm really interested in. What I'm really interested in are other phase transitions that may have taken place in our early universe's history that don't we don't really know about yet. Um, there are a bunch of different reasons why particle physicists think there might have been other phase transitions. For one thing, a lot of theories just predict them. So it's it's not an uncommon feature of different physics theories we might write down. Also, a lot of our explanations for why there's more matter than antimatter in our universe require there to have been really kind of dramatic phase transitions that occurred. So for these and other reasons, like we write a lot of papers about phase transitions and, and, and spend a lot of time thinking about how they might have played out. So we already know about two phase transitions that took place in the early universe, the QCD phase transition and the electroweak phase transition. But some cosmologists, including Dan, are wondering whether there might have been others. And while the two known phase transitions are already pretty strange, it turns out that some of the phase transitions that cosmologists have been speculating about might be even stranger. To get a, your head around this, to wrap your head around this, let's use the analogy of freezing liquid water. So imagine I gradually reduce the temperature of a large amount of liquid water. We know that eventually all the water in my container is going to freeze, but of course it won't all turn into ice at exactly the same time. By definition, there'll be some place in that tank or whatever where the water undergoes the phase transition first just has to happen somewhere first. Once the water in that location has started turning to ice, that piece of ice will grow, freezing the water around it, and it will kind of expand outward. So you can kind of imagine the phase transition starting at one place and then kind of spreading to its surrounding volume. In the meantime, imagine at the opposite side of the tank or something, the same thing happens there. And independently, the water turns to ice and it starts to expand outward. These different regions of ice will each grow until they kind of run into each other and their boundaries meet up and they combine to form one big chunk of ice. So while the phase transition eventually covers an entire system, you can think of it as starting statistically at one point or another, or maybe at multiple points, and expanding out from those points like bubbles. Eventually, all of these bubbles meet and cover the entire system and the systems in the new state post-phase transition. The thing about freezing water is that when this transition happens, there's only one possible state that you can end up with. We know that when you cool water, it becomes ice every single time you do that. But with some more exotic phase transitions we could imagine, there could actually be multiple possible end states. At a given temperature and pressure, we know there's only one state that water can take on. But in some physical theories, there can be more than one state that nature could choose from. 
Imagine, for example, that upon freezing water, it could become ice, but it could also become something else, something that will just, for a placeholder, we'll call it ice prime. Deep down, ice and ice prime are made of the same stuff, like H2O or whatever, just like solid and liquid water deep down are really the same thing. But the physical properties of these substances might appear to be very different. Now imagine again that you have a large amount of this stuff gradually cooling until it becomes either ice or ice prime. Just like before, there is by definition one place that undergoes this transition first. And let's say this place becomes ice. And then that bubble of ice starts to expand outward, creating a bigger and bigger region of ice. But then somewhere else, the same substance turns into ice prime instead as it cools. And then that region expands and cools. All of these different regions of ice and ice prime are growing, and eventually they're going to run into each other, forming bigger regions of continuous ice and ice prime, and leading to the appearance of these boundaries that separate the different regions that are filled with ice from those that are filled with ice prime. These kinds of boundaries that separate the regions of different states are called domain walls. And these walls are super weird. For one thing, they should contain a ton of energy. I mean, I mean a lot of energy. The reason that water freezes when it gets cold is that a cold block of ice contains a lot less energy than the same amount of equally cold water. In general, nature tends to try to find the state that has the minimum possible energy and move everything towards that configuration. But in a situation with these kinds of domain walls in it, there's no way to get to the low energy state. We're kind of stuck with these bizarrely high energy objects, they can't go away. This might sound super speculative. After all, there is no such thing as ice prime, of course. But there are some materials in condensed matter physics that do behave this strangely, so it's not a completely unfounded example. We'll save that for another time. So if a phase transition of this kind really did take place in the early universe, the resulting domain walls might have survived and, you know, in principle, we could imagine they could still be present in our universe today. Such walls could even divide our current universe into different regions. And in those regions, our universe would be in different fundamental states. And that means they would look like they had different laws of physics in them. As an example, imagine that you had a series of domain walls that were generated in the early universe at around the time of this electroweak phase transition. Now, the details of the calculation depend on the, the properties and, and the, the details of the phase transition we're imagining. But roughly speaking, we can estimate that one domain wall of this kind would contain a mass or an energy equivalent to about 10 to the 39 solar masses of energy. So that's as much energy as would be stored in 10 to the 39 sun worth of mass. So a vast, vast, vast amount of energy. Nothing like this could exist in our universe. It's way more energy than is contained in our entire universe. If a domain wall like this existed, its gravity would be so huge that it would totally transform the shape and evolution of our universe. It would just be dramatic and we couldn't miss it. What does this tell us about our universe? Well, for starters, it tells us that certain kinds of phase transitions, namely those that lead to the creation or formation of domain walls, could not have taken place in our early universe. That's a pretty powerful thing to know. It helps us to narrow down the range of physical theories that we might want to consider. Domain walls are just one example of a broader class of objects that physicists call topological defects. 
Some kinds of phase transitions lead to these kind of two-dimensional defects that we call domain walls, but other phase transitions we can write down would lead to the formation of one-dimensional objects that we call cosmic strings or point-like objects that we would call monopoles. So these aren't the strings of string theory, but are a different sort of one-dimensional object that would come about from this odd sort of phase transition. It turns out that with the point-like monopole defects, they have the same problem that domain walls do. There should have been a lot of them that would have made it, been made in the early universe if the right kind of phase transitions took place, and we just couldn't miss them. They would contain a ton of energy. They would dominate the gravitational potential of our universe. They should screw everything up. If they were, if they existed, we would have seen them a long time ago. So the fact that our universe doesn't contain a lot of monopoles forces us to rule out those kinds of theories. So let's talk about cosmic strings. If there was the kind of phase transition in the early universe that created cosmic strings, then there could still be a network of these objects, like a giant spider web of cosmic strings spanning across our universe today. A few decades ago, there were a lot of cosmologists who were taking seriously the idea that cosmic strings, instead of dark matter, might have been responsible for the formation of the galaxies and clusters of galaxies we see in our universe today. While modern measurements haven't supported that idea, it just goes to show how important these sorts of things could be for the history and evolution of our universe, at least in principle. So even though cosmic strings can't be responsible for the formation of galaxies and clusters of galaxies, it's still possible that there could be a pretty big abundance of cosmic strings in our universe today. Um, some of these strings might exist or extend across the entire observable extent of our universe, you know, spanning you know, tens of billions of light years, while others could be a lot smaller, kind of wrapped around in closed loops. Like with the case of domain walls, we can look for the gravity from these strings. In particular, we can look for the impact of this gravity in the light that was uh, produced in the hot bit bang, what we call the cosmic microwave background. And while we haven't seen any evidence of cosmic strings in this light yet, we can at least use this information to rule out some of the theories we can write down about the early universe. And hopefully with better measurements of the CMB or the cosmic microwave background in the future, we'll be able to test more of these theories as the data becomes better. We can also look for signs that cosmic strings might be gravitationally deflecting light in our universe. And probably most exciting for the near term, we can look for evidence that these weird strings might be producing ripples in the fabric of space and time that we call gravitational waves. So can I finish by asking kind of a stupid question? I love it. <laughs> like just at the end of the day, like, Sure, these things have gravity. We can see how they impact cosmology with their gravity, yada, yada. But like, what would it look like to see one? Like if you were traveling in space and came upon a domain wall or came upon a cosmic string, like what would it look like? Well, the details of what a topological defect like these might look like depends a little bit on, on the kind of phase transition we'd be talking about. The one thing that like isn't up for debate is that they would just contain a ton of energy and therefore would act like they have a lot of mass. All that energy they carry would act like mass according to general relativity. So, you know, just like we can see black holes without actually seeing any light from black holes, we see the influence of that gravity on everything around them. We would be able to see the influence of these defects gravity on everything around them. So you might see a 
strings extending across space and just noticing all the matter and energy behaving very bizarrely around it. And if you had a point-like defect, it might act just like a very, very, very massive particle. So maybe almost like a kind of dark matter where you don't actually see like the string itself, but you just see things orbiting weirdly around it or light bending around it. That's possible. And it's also possible that these things would act in a more, you know, direct way. Like, for example, some of the monopoles predicted in some of these theories are uh, magnetically charged. So like in, you know, our theories of electricity magnetism, there is no such thing as magnetic charge. There's electric charge, but there's no magnetic charge maybe these monopoles carry the magnetic charge that's kind of missing from those equations. And if that's true, then if they pass through normal matter, they would interact electromagnetically in a very, very observable way. Um, so it really depends on, on the kind of phase transition that was responsible for this and that, that made these defects in the first place. Why This Universe is brought to you by the University of Chicago Podcast Network. It's edited and produced by me, Shalma Wegsman, and my co-host is Dan Hooper, a professor of astrophysics at the University of Chicago and Fermilab. If you like our show and you want to support us even more, you can find us on Patreon. There you can access ad-free episodes of the show as well as exclusive Ask Us Anything episodes where you get to ask Dan and I direct questions about physics or anything else. So if you are curious about that, you can find it at patreon.com slash whythisuniverse. Thank you so much for listening and for your support.